for as long as we have lived, for as long as we have known, love has carried us. You're listening to the Sermon Podcast of Genesis Covenant Church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. You can find out more about us at www.genesiscov.org. Enjoy the teaching in it together. Ephesians 4, 31 to 5, 2. Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander together with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ has forgiven you. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The word of the Lord. Well, it's really good to be back with you, my friends, and uh, got to spend a, a great weekend with uh, with twenty or so of you, thinking about what it means to show up into the points of pain and injustice and conflict um, in our everyday, um, in our neighborhoods, in our country, and even in our world. Um, not to win, but to heal and to transform. And, um, and so I want to continue the conversation here with us a little bit um, this morning, but um, I'm going to keep my thoughts as brief as possible because um, I'm, I'm so excited uh, for you to meet a new friend of mine, Antonia. Um, and so the, the, the majority of the time that we're going to spend together is going to be listening to a story and a perspective that many of us maybe have never heard before. And that's a, that's a real gift. Um, I want to begin <clears throat> um, with a couple of kind of big ideas, maybe framing thoughts. Uh, first and foremost, um, we follow one who invites us to love beyond boundaries, borders, orientations, and even documentation statuses. The, the, love, um, the love that we were loved with was a boundary-crossing love. Uh, and the one who loves that way invites us to love like that too. Uh, and so it, to follow Jesus means that we don't love with contingencies. Uh, we love in a, a borderless, boundaryless kind of way. Uh, the question is, what does that mean? And how do we do that? Right? Second thing that I want to uh, offer, um, I, I am a follower of Jesus first and a citizen of the United States second. And the chronology of that matters significantly. And, um, and my faith in Jesus informs how I show up as a citizen of the United States of America and not vice versa. Um, and so um, that the third thing I want to say is this. Uh, there are things that are hidden from me that I don't yet know. And oftentimes the reason I don't yet know those things are not because I'm foolish or ignorant or, um, or it's just I, I haven't been exposed to things yet. Um, which means that the perspective I carry on any given thing is not comprehensive. It's not complete, full. There are things hidden from me. Uh, and for me personally, it's, um, it's required a couple of things. Number one, I have to acknowledge my blindness. There's this moment when, um, when Jesus is walking into Jericho, 
And there's this blind man who's been blind his entire life, most likely, sitting outside of Jericho. And he, he senses or hears that Jesus is coming up. And he screams, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And, um, and everyone's like, Jesus, keep going. It's just that blind guy yelling again. Um, but Jesus stops and draws near to the blind guy. And Jesus asks the blind guy a question. Do you know what he asked him? What do you want me to do for you? Now, um, I don't know if you are in relationship with blind folk, but um, most of the time you can tell that a person is blind. So funny that Jesus, who is seeing, looks at the blind guy and says, what do you want me to, because isn't it obvious, right? Um, Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? What does blind Bartimaeus say? I want to see. And so Jesus grants the desire of sight for this man so that he can see more clearly. And I feel like in my life, the, the more I follow Jesus, the more I, I'm coming up face to face with the fact that I am blind and I am in need of my sight being healed. I don't see everything clearly. And I've duped myself into thinking that my perspective is 2020 vision. That my perspective, my limited perspective, is the whole story, and it just simply is not. So I want to um, I want to start with those things. Um, the The third thing I'm going to say is um, uh, I, I I'm bringing a friend onto stage in a second who um, I don't deserve for her to have said yes to my invitation. Um, it, it is a remarkably courageous thing. That, um, that Antonia is with us today, and, and, and you'll hear why in a second. But I am honored um, that, um, that you would accept this invitation. But you need to know that I offered an invitation to Antonia because I've been with you enough to understand your generosity, that you lead with generosity and curiosity, Genesis Cove. And that creates an environment of hospitality uh, that feels a bit borderless. Uh, and so the way that you are is good news and actually paves the way for the conversation that we're about to have. And so um, keep being the way that you're being so that these conversations can be had, so that our, our sight can be healed, so that we can love more boundaryless um, into the future. Um, okay, there's my preamble. Um, I remember where I was in September of 2014 when my friend, a barista named Jamie, um, said, hey, can we actually grab coffee? Rather than me making you coffee, can we grab coffee? And I said, yeah. And 2014 was an, was an unstable time um, with regard to immigration in our country. And, um, and he was rattled. And so when your friend says, can we grab coffee, you say yes. And so we sat down for a cup of coffee, and he said, I want to let you know that I'm undocumented. That's the first time in my life that anybody had ever confessed to me their documentation status. I had never really thought about it that much up until that point, honestly. And when he said I'm undocumented, the first thought that went through my mind is, what do I do now? I'm having coffee with a criminal. <laughs> like, note my language. I'm having coffee with a criminal. And then he went on to tell me his story about what it was like growing up in Guatemala, the drug cartels, and how his choices were to traffic drugs, um, or die, or watch your family die, and then die. Those are your options. And so he jumped on the top of a train and rode 2,200 miles to a militarized border and, um, and had to pay the cartels one more time $7,000 to get into the country. 
And when he told me that story, it, it, I, I remember thinking to myself, what is, the, what is the hell that I would have to be experiencing in order to jump on top of a freight train and ride it for 2,200 miles, risking getting beaten up, risking gang rape, risking losing limbs in order to get to a wall that I would have to pay the cartels again, make another payment to the cartels of $7,000 to get into a place where they can no longer reach me. What kind of hell would I have to be experiencing? Three years after I heard his story, I met three men from his village. All of them had prosthetics because they had all lost their limbs to the train. A couple years later, I was in, a, in the home of an undocumented family in the San Francisco Bay Area. There were 17 of them living in one, uh, a one-bedroom apartment. And as I was sitting with them, their daughters um, brought me bottles of water, and it was just this incredible experience of sitting with them and un- like immersing into the reality of their story and understanding what it means to live as an undocumented American in the shadows of apartments in my neighborhood. And um, my, my sight was being healed. And then I remember looking over at the kitchen, and there's like water stains everywhere, and there's a big gaping hole in the kitchen floor. And I asked, the, um, I asked Raul, the, the, the husband, the, the father of the, the space, what, what is the deal with the water stains and the hole? Like, why can't, let's get this fixed, you know? Can we talk to the landlord? And he said the last person who lived here um, complained about the water stains and the hole, and they were evicted without cause. We can't risk it, so we have to live around it little tiny kids in the house, right? Or a couple months ago, I was down south in the borderlands between San Diego and Tijuana. I met a a mother named Ingrid um, who was traveling with her three children and her mother. They had been on the run for their lives for three years um, because they owned a butcher shop in southern Mexico. And um, and the cartels began to extort her, which meant that they they began to take a cut from her profits, and when they could no longer afford the, the money being charged them by the cartels, they stopped paying. And so then they said, okay, you give us $15,000 or your husband's life. And they said, we can't do it. So the next day, she opened up her door to the corpse of her husband with a note stabbed to his chest that said, now it will be $15,000 per kid or the same thing will happen to them. She ran for her life and for three years, she ran and they kept finding her She literally arrived to Tijuana three hours before I got there. And she sat down and she told us that story. She came with papers from from southern Mexico telling her story, affirming her story. She is an asylum seeker. She is a refugee. And our border patrol turned her around and sent her back into Tijuana. Why? Because they faced thousands and thousands of those letters a day. What's true? Um, There's all sorts of Rhetoric that is um, circling around our country with regard to immigration and, and immigrants, and it's, um, frankly, it's dehumanizing. The words, the, the, the words that are being used by dominant culture to describe our migrant brothers and sisters, it, it, they're dehumanizing them. They're impacting our ability to see the humanity, dignity, and image of God in them. And we have one who is not only a sight healer, we have one who says love beyond boundaries, borders, and documentation status. As a matter of fact, we have one who says covenant faithfulness is marked by your ability to love beyond boundaries, borders, and documentation status. So the question is, how do we do that? How do we do it? There was a a prominent evangelical um, who not too long ago said, 
um, in the midst of all of the craziness around immigration, uh, immigration is not a biblical issue. And um, uh, and I I don't know um, I don't know what Bible <laughs> that person's reading, um, but the word for foreigner ger shows up 92 times in the Hebrew text alone. Leviticus 19:33-34, hospitality. Um, to the foreigner is a sign of covenant faithfulness. Deuteronomy 10.18, God defends the foreigner through our tangible love. Isaiah 1.17, learn to do good, seek justice, rescue the oppressed, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. Matthew 25, faithfulness is connected to our human concern and practical compassion to the foreigner. Luke 10.27, love your neighbor, period. And so contrary to that prominent evangelical statement, the Bible is quite concrete when it comes to immigration. The Bible itself is an immigrant document. It's a text compiled by a migrant, marginalized people trying to sort out what it means to live the God life. The scriptures are literally saturated with stories of immigrants. Immigration is actually faithfulness. Obedience over and over again in the scriptures. The, the, the scriptures are saturated with commands for hospitality of migrants, God's favorable view of migrants, God's embodiment as a migrant. Ours is a migrant God who actually transcended boundaries and borders to get to us. God's commissioning of a migrant people to embody the gospel, like we are commissioned as a migrant people, a people on the move. The very essence of follow me implies we are a people on the move, embodied with the good news of a God who loves extravagantly, restoratively. Loving beyond boundaries and borders and documentation statuses is actually a barometer for Christian faithfulness. I'm learning to see that that's, um, that that's true. Last thing I'll say is, um, last time I was down at the border, I had a conversation with a border patrol agent, and I asked her, because she had the aroma of Jesus about her, and, um, and I just said, hey, come here. Um, her name was Melissa, and, um, and I said, hey, Melissa, let's say you, as a border patrol agent, you, um, you know that you have an undocumented neighbor. And let's say that you go home, you take off the costume of border patrol, you put on the costume of your neighborhood, and you, you are a neighbor, to, you have a neighbor who is undocumented, and you know it as a border patrol agent, what do you do? And she goes, well, is the person doing anything illegal? And I go, no, the person is just like in your neighborhood, living in your neighborhood. She goes, well, then I love my neighbor. And I'm like, huh, if a border patrol agent can love her undocumented neighbor, what in the world is stopping me from doing so? So I went back up to Bend, Oregon, where I live, and I became a student of my place, and I began to relentlessly pursue access to relationship with the migrant influencers, the migrant community. Um, and, and all sorts of things began to happen. As I began to build friendships with them, um, my sight started to get healed. I started to see things that I didn't see before. I began to confront my own biases and prejudice. I began to recognize that I had accepted some of the constructions that had been offered me through mass media. As I built relationships, I was found informed by God. But here's the thing, that shouldn't be surprising to us because Jesus says in Matthew 25 that if you want to be found informed by him, go pursue relationships among the margins because that's where Jesus is. That began to happen to me. Here is the great surprise. I am a deeply strategic, activistic type of person and I've actually duped myself into believing that solutions to the injustice in our world happen because people like me get in rooms and we like have whiteboard strategy sessions. 
great surprises, the solutions to the injustice that have plagued our marginalized neighbors have been germinating in their souls for generations. So rather than people like me getting into strategy sessions, perhaps we need to get into relationship with the marginalized, listen to the solutions that have been germinating, and begin to find ways to leverage our privilege, our resources, our networks to amplify their voices. That was the work I was doing in Washington, D.C. I was there advocating for the dreamers in my neighborhood. There are about 2,000 dreamers. These are young people who came across the border without, uh, without status, um, with their parents as dependents. DACA gave them the ability to drive, to study, and to work. Now that's all up in limbo. DACA uh, officially expires on March the 5th. That means that there are about 2,000 young people, their teachers, their students, their employees, their mothers, their fathers in my neighborhood who by March 5th will likely lose their ability to, to be mobile legally, their ability to work legally, and perhaps their ability to study. That's a problem in my neighborhood, okay? Um, and so I'm in relationship with them now, and I'm figuring out how to, how to mend the divide between the Anglo faith community and the, the migrant community in my space. And I was in Washington, D.C., meeting with Congress people advocating for dreamers because my faith actually fueled me into that. I'm not like this political activist person, um, but I do understand that as a follower of Jesus, part of my responsibility is to ensure that my government um, protects the humanity, dignity, and image of God and every image bearer in our country and beyond, probably. And so I was there doing some of that work, and all of a sudden I stumbled upon this woman who was standing quietly by a cross um, alone on the grass between the two Senate buildings on, on Washington, D.C., and there was a magnetic force about her that drew me in toward her. So I'm just one of those crazy people that when something, I see something that I'm attracted to, I'm kind of like a bug that way. I just kind of make my way over. And, um, and it was this, it was this um, beautiful force of nature that I later learned her name is Antonia, and, um, and she introduced herself as an undocumented mother of dreamer kids. You want to talk about vulnerability? You want to talk about the most exploitable human being in our country right now? An undocumented mother of dreamer kids. She was there on a 10-day fast. She was, because that's the, that's the last thing that she had to offer to try to protect her kids. And, um, and I met her, and I heard her story, and... Um, took a picture with her, and then when I knew that I was coming to hang out with you all, because of all that's circling around in our country right now about immigration, and because immigration is actually quite a central theme to our story as followers of Jesus, I just put out an email to Antonia and said, hey, would you like trust me enough to come sit on a stage with me? And she said yes, um, which is remarkable. And so I, wanna, um, I want you to uh, help me welcome Antonia to the stage. <clears throat> And um, what an opportunity we have um, to learn uh, what we don't know. Uh, and so I'm going to, we're going to have a, converse, a little conversation here um, to invite us inside of the perspective of some, uh, an undocumented mother of dreamer kids. Um, and so, um, so thank you. And here's what I would invite you to do. Um, if you're already uncomfortable, great. That might mean that the spirit is at work in your life right now. 
because uh, discomfort is probably a signal that something good is happening. Uh, as we go, listen carefully to what the Spirit is saying to you, because uh, the Spirit is saying something to us in this interaction. Um, and so thank you, my friend, for being here. I, I want to, um, I, I wonder if we can just begin um, with you helping us understand what life was like for you in Mexico and why it was that you crossed a border. And the reason I think that's an important question is because there's so, there's so much rhetoric around who migrants are and why it is that they're coming here. So share a little bit about, um, about your life in Mexico and why you're, why you're here. Yeah. Uh, first, thank you so much for you inviting me. And this is what happened in my, in my heart. I'm Catholic. I'm organizer in Minnesota for 18 years. But when I come in inside, someone they say, they say welcome. I don't know who is who told me welcome in the door. But always, always when someone they say welcome, it's not your voice. It's God. He was told me welcome. And it's how I feel comfortable. I'm, I'm from Mexico, I'm born in Mexico, and I, I have my professional work in my country. I'm oncology nurse. I work in the hospital in Mexico with the people with cancer, and I have my own business in my country. I have 60 employees, most women, and I have a, I believe I have good good my future for my three kids, my ex-husband and myself and my country. But one day, the La Mafia, they kidnap my employees. In one week, they kidnap one, and I pay for her. They get me this lady. The second week, they kidnap my second employee, and I pay for her. But then the third week, they kidnap my third employee and I no had more money. They just abused, sexuality abused my employee, and they put in my employee in the mercado. So when I, when I take my employee and I no had more money, I asked my brother, my brother, he's citizen in, in Minnesota, in the US, and I told my brother, you know what happened? This is what happened in Mexico. And one day they can have myself or maybe my kids. And I no have more money. I need living. Help me. And I organized it in my country because the political issue is corruption in my country. I was, uh, for example, in my country, when you no have driver license, uh, you pay la mordida. I don't know how they say in English, la mordida, but you pay money for the, for the police. And, and I'm tired about the corruption in my country. And I told my brother, we need working about many different issues in, in Mexico. But I need living because it's really dangerous for me and my family. And, and my secret is organizer in my country. I'm organizer with people for, the, for change the system. One day, one this organizer came to my house and he was told me, I need to speak with you about some issue. 
And I say, come inside in my house, let me finish my workers and I can go in with you. He said, no, 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 I wait for you outside. It's in September. So September is a little cold, but he, when he's in the sun, he like it more stay outside. So I'm continuing to work inside in my house. One motorcycle is coming and the, and the pistols, they kill him outside in my house. So I told my people, stay inside, and, and I call one more time my brother. You need to come with me because they come for me. They come for me. You need to come for me right now. My brother, he was told me, okay, listen. In United States, never organize nothing. You need going and quiet and work, and you can come with me. And I say, okay, come for me, come for me. And he was told me, promise told me promise, and I say, no, come for me right now. So my brother, he's, he paid for me, and I crossed the border. When I crossed the border, I come to Minnesota. So I work with my brother for a couple months, two months, and I'm quiet. I never organize night, nothing, but I like it swim. And always I stay in, in, in the lake. When I, when I work in seven to seven in one corporation, when for three days, one week, and the other week, four days, and the other three days, and the other four days, I'm off, and I, I stay in the lake, always. <laughs> seven to seven. <laughs> so my brother, he's very angry for me. And he said, you can stay outside. You need to stay inside because the police, when they come in and they you walking, maybe they arresting you and the porter. You need to stay inside in house. So I feel, oh shoot, my brother he kidnapped me. I I feeling I no feel freedom. I need living. Mm. He's citizen and he's afraid. I'm not afraid. God help me, help me. God help me. I need living. So. One of my brother employees, he lived in Minneapolis, and he said, you can come to Minneapolis. We have one apartment in Minneapolis, and you can come. I'm come to Minneapolis, and one of my brother uh, friends, he came invited me in the church in Lady Guadalupe in St. Paul. So when I asked, how you can drive it? He said, the same Mexico. I don't have driver and driver license, but I need driving. And I say, oh, so I can, I can drive in also? And he said, yeah, you can drive in. So <laughs> I buy my car and I drive in. And I see, okay, I don't have driver license. I organized it for 18 years ago for driver license in Minnesota. And what is my discovery in, in the US? In Mexico, we have la mordida. In US, we have legalization corruption. Because when I don't have drivers, driving license, the police, they give me one paper. And I go into the, the Hennepin and I pay my, my for no driver license. And they return one paper. It's, a, it's legalization, the corruption. In my country, they ne never give me receive. In this country, they give me receive for my money. <laughs> but it's the same. It's more sophisticated the corruption. <laughs> so 
can I can stand here? Yo, please. Okay. Yeah. So I I have my own own business. I have my I working in house cleaning and I have my employees, and I pay my taxes for 18 years, and I working for many campaigns. I'm co-founder Asamblea de Derechos Civiles, a non-profit organization, and I'm organizer 18 years for many different campaigns. You can see my name. The last heavy campaign is Safe Lowry Grove in San Antonio. I'm Antonia Alvarez. I'm I'm organizer for protecting this land because in this uh, mobile home park is uh, Latinos, Afro-Americans, and white people, but poor people. And, and I, I can see the system. Right now, we don't have representation. You need to have a billions dollars for representation, but when you don't have, you know have values. You you know you know you know are the part in this system right now, and it's it's more difficult for immigrants. I organize. I'm organizer for many campaigns: transportation, education, healthcare, jobs, and other campaigns. But I was see the president Obama because uh, I spoke with him face to face. And you can see Facebook, my, my pictures is with the President Obama because I push him for, for immigration issues. Because um, I never criminal. I'm cross the border, but I no cross drugs. I no have guns. I no have nothing with me. I pay my taxes. I try to follow the law. I never broke nothing. When, it's the, when the law is, is oppression, it's no law, and we need broke. Antonia, can you, um, can you describe your experience of being an undocumented American right now in this country? What is, what, all, all of the messaging that's happening about migrants, mm -hmm. how are you hearing that, and what is it like? Yeah. I was, remember... Um, President Trump, when he is campaign working, and he was saying, one day I'm destroying DACA. DACA is my three older kids. But in September 5, I, I working, and I listen to the news, and they say, President Trump, he is done DACA. I was remember I'm back in clean one house, and I put my body on the floor and I say, God, why my kids? I'm organizer in this country 18 years. How many years more we need? My kids, they going to the university. We pay a hundred percent money. We never ask for nothing help. We pay everything. I'm organizer for you people. You say you love others. Why this system they no love others? Why Trump is the president? Why? Why? 
when it's finished this this struggle it's not only for my my kids from he kill families from he separate fathers and mothers and the kids is alone I'm pro life I believe in life But what happened right now? Many people, they lost the faith. Many people, they feel afraid. And the others, they say, you need to stay in the, in the sh under in the shadows. And I say, no. I need to speak up. Mm. And I need to speak what, what is the truth. Because I never criminal. My kids, they never criminal. Mm. My kids, they have professions. Mm -hmm. My son, he's graduating in the university in Marshall and Southwest University. He's graduating for international business, Spanish and political science. And he is work for the one corporation, uh, important the, uh, and export uh, many different uh, merchandise. My other daughter, she is uh, graduating in the same university. She's graduating for um, uh, political science, Spanish, and um, criminal justice, something, something like this. And and she and she's working right now, but my other daughter, in January she lost the paper. She's in Saint Thomas University. She studied theology, but right now she can write in because she no had more these papers. She can write in. She can work. She lost the jobs, and she is. Uh, she's staying home. She feel afraid because when she need driving, she's, she's driving my car. Because when she's driving her car, the car and the license is expiring. Mm -hmm. The police, they can see her in her car and they arresting her. Or when she's trying to uh, work, the system, they, they have this social security number and she can work. Because when they when she pay oh, she deposit money in the in the account bank, the system they catch her, and they probably they say she's broke the law because she's working illegal. Mm -hmm. So right now my kids is in the limbo. Mm -hmm. I I believe I had more freedom. I'm undocumented, but I I feel had more freedom because I never stay in the system. But my three kids, they are in the system. President Trump, he put my kids on the floor. And he put in the gun in the hair. And this is what happened. This is what he said, Trump. This is your kids or United States people. This is your dreamers. You want to dreamers? 
I need my money for construction, my wall, my wall and the borders. Business. Hmm. President Trump is the same la mafia in my country. He's kidnap human people for moving the business. Hmm. This is what happened right now. Antonia, um, you, you heard me talk about um, f we represent a tradition um, that's oriented around a Jesus who invites us to love beyond boundaries, borders, and even documentation statuses. And oftentimes for us, um, that has looked like charity more than solidarity. And I wonder if you can help us as, as a woman of faith and of our tradition as well, can you help us understand from your perspective, how do we stand in solidarity together and co-create a just future with one another? What, what do you think that looks like? Right now, I, I, we don't have exactly the future, but I believe the people, they need both. But when you vote, you need, take, you need talk to representative responsibility for the actions. Because we don't have representation with the Republicans. And the Democrats, they feel afraid. They never pushing more. President Trump, he is in the many different scandals about the, the prostitution, uh, this uh, porno, star porno, and many different uh, scandals. But what happened with the uh, President Obama? He was have won this issue. The people, they just impeach Obama. But why the people, they never impeach Trump? But how can we, how can we as, as people of faith, because there, there is a, we live in a political milieu and, and voting is an important mm -hmm. thing, but on, on a grassroots level, a relationship between you and I, what does solidarity look like between you and I? How, how do we love one another tangibly in this particular time? Right now, we we're looking for houses, houses for protecting the others. For example, uh, in the bubble, they say the Lydia's house, and, and it's secret. There's no sanctuary, public sanctuary, because uh, the, this campaign sanctuary is like you can, you can say to the La Migra, oh, these people is here. But when you have secret, Lydia's house is the name, is the secret names. We can put in the list, and we have emergency, your house is open for protecting others. Because we don't have right now cho choices for, for uh, how we can help right now. Th this moment is like the Hitler, Hitler time. Mm. And many people, they believe they need to see when they kill the people in the gas station for me. But when you believe me, you need to make actions. Protect others. When someone they need driving, you can drive in for others. Or, or when we need moved people for, for actions, move it. 
no feel afraid. Because when you feel afraid, I'm undocumented, and I, I stay in the front with my people, and I say, please stay with me, stay with me. No feel afraid, because God is with us. And my people follow me. But when, when Trump or this system or these corporations, they can see white people or, or Afro-American people or other colors with me, we have more power. Mm. Mm. I'm not alone. He's not alone. When I stay in Washington, D.C., it's not my own decision. When I ask God, why is my kids in this position? God, he was told me, go Washington, D.C., go. I listen inside in my heart what he say. And God, he was told me it's 11 months, this situation. 11 months. You need to stay strong, but you need to speak with others not lost your faith mm -hmm. because God is with you. When God is love you, there's no space for hate others. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's incredible. Thank you, my friends, so much. And, and Antonio will be available afterward to chat more um, about some of this, maybe out in the foyer. Um, you Thank you for contending for us in this moment and, um, and bringing the real, authentic, and raw you into this space. And um, it's helping me to under, like I have to be able to crawl inside of your story and your perspective um, in order to be found informed by Jesus, but in order to be found informed by you too. And, um, and so thank you for the gift that you just, uh, you just gave us in your story. I have a friend, um, Samuel in Tijuana, who looks at me and uh, people like us frequently and says, we don't want your charity, we want your solidarity. Um, I, I have a friend, in, a dreamer friend in Oregon. She says, I have a voice and I have a story. You have privilege and you have resources and you have a vote. How do we work together? Um, and th that the working together is what solidarity looks like. It, it's what loving uh, loving neighbor probably looks like here and now. And so, so um, I, want, I just want to give us 60 or so seconds just to reflect on what it is that we just heard. Um, and I want to invite you to ask the Spirit um, um, that she would help you understand what it is that she's saying to you. What is the Spirit saying to you right now? Um, and what are you going to do about it? We can also, we can have a, we can put in, you can have a list of the paper, put in your name, your email, and we can invite you for the other actions, or we can send to the, the church with the pastors or with you for invited people when you are ready. For example, last two weeks, I want to go into Washington, D.C. for this situation in, in D.C., but when I try to move it, Six, uh, 15 people in one car, undocumented everybody, we can't. So I need white people together with a, a Latino community because when you are in the same car, uh, ICE or the police department never stopping me. But when I don't have driver license, I can't right now drive into Washington, D.C. I can't. Mm -hmm. I need help. Mm. Thank All you. Right.